Welcome to another episode of Harvest Series, a podcast following a four-day experience in Kaplankaya on the southwestern Aegean coast of Turkey, filled with fascinating talks and workshops to harvest knowledge and nurture the planet, an event produced by Athena Advisors and Capital Partners. Data is big game changer here. And now, you know, scope three reporting data is, is becoming mandatory for big companies. So, you know, the data revolution is here. And uh, now all the companies are, you know, under significant pressure to produce their supply chain data, their scope three data. And they're going to have to go all the way back to the farm, the land that produces whatever that they transform and sell. And um, we're putting a lot of effort into understanding, like, how can we tell a story that is possible to validate? So you, you don't have to trust us. You, you, you know, the data is there. It's available. It's on a blockchain. We have a camera that films our garden every single day. You can go in at any time of the day to see it. You know, sensors that measure the water any given time. This is where we need to get to where, you know, it's not about trust anymore. It's about validation. I'm Rose, a French journalist based in Barcelona. And this episode is an interview made in Kaplankaya with Christian Joshnik. Christian, a former banker from a wealthy Swedish family, decided to have a radical change in his life and bought a piece of land in Ibiza. Today, he dedicates his days to regenerative farming and local food production with his team growing fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains and legumes. They produce compost and seedling and manage a herd of more than a hundred goats. In this episode, we'll discuss small-scale farming, certifications, fertilizers, trust in organic and data. Christian, with Junto Sibisa, you're bringing to life a 70 hectares unique model of food, community and farming What's the goal? If you think about our society, everything we have, everything we consume has a value chain. That value chain always begins in nature. And the way we extract this value from nature is what matters. And what regenerative agriculture is all about is, is to figure out how can we, instead of having an extractive system, how can we have a system where we basically feed the ecosystem and then reap the benefits rather than going in there and and harvest a diminishing source so regenerative agriculture is a way to say how can we create food systems where we are essentially feeding the ecosystems and receiving what we need so the goal is not only not to harm the planet but to actually help the planet to regenerate yeah, yeah and i i think it's um, human being is 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 not uh, the base of the food system if you have the insects for example it's the base of the food system so you take away the the insect population then the whole ecosystem collapses you take away the human beings the ecosystem will be fine the ecosystem doesn't need human beings but we are keystone species like the beaver for example so you put a beaver into an ecosystem they will start to build dams And they will start to collect water that will affect the vegetation. The vegetation will affect the type of animals that can live there. And then, you know, the whole ecosystem will change thanks to the beaver. And the human beings is, is like this. So we can come into an ecosystem and depending on how we relate to this ecosystem, we can either strengthen it or weaken it. 
So how do you fight against uh, the pests or the insects that are not good for the fruits and vegetables? Basically, the, the ecosystem needs diversity to build strength. It's, it's, it's like our, our bodies are, is an organic system. And if we only eat the same thing every single day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, we will not get the nutrients that we need to feed our immune system. And it's the same thing with, with the ecosystem. The ecosystem, when you have a diverse flora and fauna, builds up its own resilience. And it sounds a little bit like wishful, but <laughs> it actually works. And, and, and when you reduce plantation down to, to one single element, so you only plant corn, you only plant wheat, you only plant oats, then uh, it becomes very, very vulnerable. And it's quite incredible to see that nature regulates itself very well. It's, it's typically when we start to try to control it and optimize it, we create a lot of problems that was not there. You don't need like uh, chemicals or in a regenerative uh, or the minimum or... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sometimes you need to do treatments and you try to source the solutions in nature. So if you look at fertilizers, for example, you can make what's called in Spain, we call it biofertilizantes. You know, you, you make almost like a fermentation where you take soil from the forest, you put it in to a process of fermentation and then you... You, you cultivate bacteria and nutrients and then you spray it, for example. And it's, it serves the same purpose, but it comes from natural sources and it has a lot more life and nutrients in it than what, what we would get. But the core point is that you don't really need to work in the same way because you're not fighting nature as you do in, in, in traditional agriculture, you're actually nourishing nature. And uh, when you start to cultivate in a regenerative way, the weeds don't become a problem in, in the same way. And it's hard to explain how, you almost need to see it. But the core principle, if we go back to it, is, is that when you work with regenerative agriculture, what you do is that you, you're feeding the soil. Uh, so instead of you're not planting to harvest. Your main task is to develop the topsoil and develop the health of that topsoil. And when you start to invest into the topsoil, then you have a resource. And this resource can produce whatever you want to grow on top of it. And all the nutrients and the resilience exists in that soil. Why is there such like um, resistance when we talk about regenerating the soil like and, and a bit of um, skepticism in the air sometimes? Um, I think, you know, human beings are always resistant to change. <laughs> you know, uh, we have a whole industry that has been built around the system that we have today. Um, we have uh, politicians that uh, have... Um, you know, created subsidies, support for these industries. You have big companies that invested in huge infrastructure to support this value chain. And then you have millions and millions of farmers that depend on this system. And to change this system, it's a big thing. And, and it's hard to convince people to change something that we are so, so intrinsic to our societies. And uh, I think also... You know, we have to remember why this came about. It was, you know, we had multiple famines. We had two world wars. There was food security was a big issue. 
when industrialization of agriculture happened, it was actually called the green, the green wave. <laughs> uh, so this is something that, especially the older generation, you know, this was a massive liberation for them and something that was very dear to, to that generation. So, and something that was a huge source of pride and accomplishment. And now you have to declare failure and, and come to the realization that what we have been practicing for 70 years is actually extremely, extremely destructive for our ecosystems. And, and it's putting us on a path to a very, very uncertain path. <laughs> <laughs> COVID made the question of food very real for people. For Christian, there was a moment in March 2020 where the notion of system collapse became real. They didn't know if the system supply was going to work, especially in Ibiza, as if they don't have a ship arriving every 48 hours, they have a problem of food supply. Christian, who was focusing more on tree crops, decided then to focus more on vegetables. COVID also gave time and space to think in general about the food system according to Christian. And this was the case for a lot of attendees of Harvest in Kaplankaya. I, I grew up with my hands in the mud and with my hands in the soil and with my barefoot walking in the countryside. So I think it's very beautiful and I think it's like what we have to give our children the next generation because they really don't know how to connect with nature and I think it's beautiful for us and for them and for everyone. It's, it was super inspired and very beautiful. Christian, let's talk about your project in Ibiza, Puntos. Six years ago you bought the land. What was the intention? The intention really came from, from three different parts. One was this notion of, of being in in service of nature, to, to really be a custodian of nature. So to take a piece of land and make it a, a beautiful place. And then um, the second was this notion we were living in London. I was living a very, almost like a perfect life. Everything I could dream about living in London, the type of job and the place where we lived and all of this. Yeah. Very comfortable, beautiful, having access to natural environment. And, and then I felt, wow, this is so empty why do i feel so empty and i, I realized that this transient uh, community this urban life where it's very hard to connect and meet uh, was a big i really missed it and i saw this podcast that um, is about happiness are you living in the city living in the countryside kids no kids working in this industry or that industry being successful all of that is secondary to the relationships that you of keep course, in your life. Yeah, and yeah. and this became very clear. So from the beginning, I wanted this place to be a place where people meet and people come together. The third piece was to try to grow food in the most healthy way. And when you think about it, it's so obvious that you, you spray poison onto a plant that absorbs this poison. You eat this plant, your body absorbs this poison. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite obvious that this is not a healthy way of producing yeah. food. So the idea was to try to produce organic food. And the, and the idea was to keep it relatively small scale and just create a space which is very beautiful, where you can connect with nature, try to use it to bring people together a few times a year for meaningful moments, and then try to grow food. And then from there, it's kind of 
evolved and in the beginning i had the ability to to kind of let this project go without having to make money from it but i realized that you know having people working without earning their salary was you know it it doesn't okay. yeah it doesn't give dignity to someone that is performing a task so i thought actually we should push ourselves to make sure that we at least break even on this Good, okay. and then when you start to think about you know margins then you're like wait a minute actually this this should be profitable and we need to figure out how, how to make this profitable and because then you want to be a model a healthy model for yeah to reproduce to be yeah reproduced? i think and and also i think the big realization was this like wow this really works you know we can we can really restore our ecosystems and feed ourselves and we can measure it and we can verify it Uh, we can take soil samples, we can send it to the, a lab, we can get a lab report, we can see everything that is inside the soil, we can measure this, we can measure how much water we use in relation to, to how much we produce, we can measure how many insects we have, how many butterflies we have, we can measure the bird population, we can show that we are strengthening the ecosystem and feeding ourselves at the same time. And when I realized this, then I realized there's going to be nowhere to hide, you know, all the big companies are going to have to comply with this because it's Speaks it's inevitable okay. it's inevitable and and if you look at the regenerative movement it's a movement but it's not a public movement yet those who are interested in it and those who care about this topic they are very well aware of it but but the big companies nestle unilever danone they're already making bold commitments towards regenerative and it's not because they feeling pressure from customers or politicians they're looking at the same data as we're looking at okay. and they realized this is mm. going to be the future it's a win win situation yeah yeah so with this project i said okay let's let's try to really make this work because it has to work <laughs> <laughs> and and if it's going to have to work it's going to have to make sense for farmers to transition at the end of the day farmers are really struggling uh, uh, today uh, you know many of them operate in the in the most poorest region in our countries the most aging population in our countries they have diminishing returns increasing prices it's for yeah. inputs it's very difficult suicide rates amongst farmers especially in spain is is very very high it's a tough world and you you come there you cannot just talk about the the soft values of saving the soil and saving the ecosystem and insect populations you know you need to put the workable solution on the table you need to be able to say look this is what you need to do and this is what's going to be the cost of the transition and this is what's going to be your opex and this is how much you're going to make and you're going to end up with the following uh, return and and they need to believe in that in order to transition so this kind of changed the project from a small lifestyle uh, project to trying to be a little bit more ambitious When I interviewed Christian last October, he had 10 employees. I just spoke with him and he was very happy to share that he has now 20 employees, including a chief design officer and a chief operating officer. He has raised 5 million euros amongst 15 investors. The goal is to transform the industrial abandoned dairy farm they bought six years ago into a hub so the seven farms part of the association can benefit from the infrastructures, the distribution center for fresh produce, 
a transformation kitchen to make products, and space to organize events and education projects. In short, building shared resources for small-scale farmers. The agricultural system that we are dependent on today is, is large-scale focused. It mimics the industrial revolution. It's like find the thing you're good at and then scale it, make it as big as possible and optimize that that process, uh, which makes a lot of sense in industry. But in farming, what happens is that you you reduce an ecosystem down to one element that is very hard to control. And, and the results is what we're seeing is that the soils become depleted. When the soils become depleted, they can't absorb water. So the water is not filtering down to our groundwater. Then you have to spray because there's not enough nutrients in the soil. So you need to spray with fertilizers and pesticides to manage the, the weeds. And then when the rain comes, it doesn't get absorbed by the soil. So it runs off, it runs down into our water mm -hmm. systems. So, you know, we need to transition to these more small-scale diversified farms. And if you say like small-scale and diversified, it's a tricky combination because it means you need to do many things in small scale. It's a lot of work. And it's not just a lot of work. It's also capex. You know, you need to invest into tools and equipment, yeah. storage facility, processing facilities, and you need to have the knowledge and then it's the work. And also, you know, the way that the organic certifications work, for example, you need to wait three years before your farm becomes declared organic. So you take all the investments up front. And then nature also takes time. You know, if you plant almond trees, you know, it takes three to four to five years to receive your first harvest. So, you know, you take the investment up front and then there's a delayed return. And then um, and also you cannot be, many projects cannot be considered organic until after three years. So it's very capex heavy, everything comes up front and you have the delayed returns and, and it becomes very heavy. So you see a lot of these kind of small scale farming projects that start up with a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of energy. And then after two, three, four years, it's so, like okay, yeah. you, you're depleted. And what we want to do here is to invest into, you know, shared infrastructure so that each project don't have to invest in this themselves um, and then can, you know, and this is like contract manufacturing in the, in, in, in industries or like cloud computing for, for tech companies once, you know, before uh, cloud computing, you had to buy the physical service, invest hundreds of thousands of Euros have specialized engineers that could write the tech stack to deliver your service. Now you go to Amazon and Microsoft and you say, hey, I want to deliver this type of service. And then they say, okay, you pay us 10,000 euros a month. If you have, need more, you scale up. You need less, you scale down. And it just enabled hundreds of thousands of startups to emerge that couldn't have done it before because they had to raise so much money and make so yeah. much investment before they can validate that they have a business. So... I think this is what we're trying to do with our project is to to build up, you know, a large scale composting uh, operation, uh, seedling production, harvesting tools, processing facilities, transformation kitchens, farmers market, really build this shared infrastructure so that it becomes more predictable and less costly to get up and running. This is where change really needs to happen, but they're so far away from the actual yeah. market. I have this project that I love. They've been doing 
uh, regenerative agriculture for 10 years. They've certified organic. They've been capturing data for five years. It's really the gold standard. In they Spain. have this In Spain, they have this amazing essential oil. But by the time they come to it, it's one of the first like highly scalable products that they have. They end up selling it for conventional prices in the wholesale market because, you know, it's so okay. hard to so kind the of... margins were like ridiculous. Yeah, margins are ridiculous and they don't get rewarded. Basically, they go through all of these efforts and then they get the same price as the people that are doing it in the conventional way. And this is really a big problem that, that farmers don't get rewarded. you think, for the... This is a price that people don't accept, are not ready to pay... I think people or? are ready to pay. I, I think it's just a, a market uh, failure at this point. You know, I think there's a big part of the population today that are willing to pay for quality. Um, I think that there's a disconnection between the people that produce and the people that consume. And I think uh, this is a great opportunity for new brands to present themselves. And we also have a different... You know, distribution environment today, bringing a food product to the market 10 years ago was a lot more difficult. You had to go through distributors and then retailers. They eat up, you know, almost half of your margins just there. And now you can go direct to end consumers um, and keep a lot more of those margins, especially in the early, early years of a project. You can show that you have a market. You can start building a market and keep more of the margins till you have proven that you have a business and then you can go in the more retail distribution. Yeah. So I think now the, the markets are ready for these type of, of products and I think consumers are ready to... But uh, don't you think there's a little problem of trust also? Sometimes people think like organic, oh, there's, there's this legend or is it true or not? You will tell me. Like there's a, just, there's a label organic, but it's just a piece of it that's been made organically and there's a problem of trust from the people about I mean, organic. The, the problem is that people are lying <laughs> and people have been lying for years and years and years. Politicians are lying, companies are lying, news are lying and people are fed up. People don't trust anymore. And, and, and this is the fundamental problem. And, you know, we see it so well, you know, on Ibiza, you know, we have these restaurants coming by and it's like, oh, can we put a sign by your garden here and then take a photo and then say it's our garden. And then we put the tomatoes on the starter and then we say we're farm to table and it's like no you cannot <laughs> because it's not true you know if you want to buy from us please buy from us and if you want to say that you bought it from us and your instagram please do it but you cannot say that you're farm to table when you're not operating a farm and you know people have been doing this for so long and and people don't trust and and yes yeah, certifications are a bulky tool and there's a hundred ways to get around it and It actually drives, I mean, just look at, to get the organic certification, you need to make sure that your produce doesn't get in touch with, uh, with conventional produce. So all the organic produce need to be wrapped in plastic. You know, this is just so yeah, crazy. Yeah, okay. You know, uh, so I think there are a lot of challenges to that, but I think um, data is big game changer here. And now, you know, scope three reporting data is is becoming mandatory for big companies. So, you know, the data revolution is here. And uh, now all the companies are, mm, you know, under significant pressure to produce their supply chain data, their scope three data. And they're going to have to go all the way back to the farm, the land that produces whatever that they transform and sell. And um, 
you know, we are working, uh, we're putting a lot of effort into understanding, like, how can we tell a story that is possible to validate? So you, you don't have to trust us. You, you, you know, the data is there. It's available. It's on a blockchain. We have a camera that films our garden every single day. You can go in at any time of the day to see it, you know, sensors that measure the water at any given time. This is where we need to get to, you know, it's not about trust anymore. It's about validation. You can go in and you can validate this data yourself. And, um, and this is where, you know, what, what we are trying to do is to build a project where compared to my friend on the mainland, Alfonso and Yannick, they have this project called La Junquera that do this amazing work with the essential oils, for example, uh, you know, for them, it's very hard in the middle of, of Murcia to, to attract people. But in Ibiza, we have 4 million people coming every year and they're all looking for something to do with their kids and their families. And so we're hoping that we can bring a lot of people through and to show our system, show how we work and to start building trust. Uh, but ultimately, yeah. you know, I don't want people to trust anyone. I want people to be able to validate themselves yeah. uh, and okay. to look at the data. Do you uh, see your Ibiza model of uh, sharing what you're trying to put in place uh, with the other farmers uh, could be replicable? Is it the goal, like to replicate it in uh, more generally in Spain, but in other countries? Well, I, I think... Um, you know, Ibiza is uh, a very unique example because we, you know, when industrialization of agriculture took off, the tourism industry took off and the land sizes were so small. So this kind of scalable model didn't really pay off. So the agricultural sector on Ibiza is, was reduced to almost nothing. So there's very little active farming on Ibiza today. So there's very little base infrastructure so it's it's a very thankful place to start because we can rebuild everything from scratch i think in other regions they have hmm. uh, access to these kind of supply chain resources in a different way than we do on ibiza and uh, so i think if you ask farmers in france or in spain and you say oh do you have access to a processing facility for grain they're gonna say yeah yeah of course we have access to it and like oh and do you have a a, a distribution company for fresh produce. Yeah, 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 of course. But then when you start to dig into it, you realize that, oh, this thing is an hour and a half that direction. This thing is an hour and a half the other direction. And um, I hope that we can show with our project is that when you bring the whole food system together in one site or in a very small local area, uh, you know, it's a bit like uh, gravity, you know, when, when two countries are next to each other, they're going to trade more than two countries that are far from each other. And I think, you know, when you bring uh, growers, you bring producers, people that make products, when you bring local community in and everything is happening at the same place and you have the education, you have co-working, you have uh, community spaces, you will you will start to see an interaction between farming, the people that work with land, People work with food products, people work with art and craft coming together. Uh, you're going to start seeing synergies. You're going to bring a lot of energy to the community. I think uh, people underestimate how valuable it is to, to have these hubs. So, of course, I hope that, you know, the hub that we are building is going to have a big impact on, on, on Ibiza. And I really hope that if we are successful, that that will be replicable. And I believe it will. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, Christian. So you're not like the typical uh, farmer. You said like you come, uh, you arrived from London, you were in the banking and consulting industry. You come from a wealthy Swedish 
family. Mm -hmm. uh, what led you onto this uh, rural path? Fr from when I was young, I, after high school, I worked in an NGO for five years, which I have actually taken a lot of inspiration from for this project. And I was there for five years and I was rebelling against my father and my background and I was going to be a social entrepreneur and I'm going to be out in the suburbs and help people. And then after four years, I was sitting there with the funding applications and the sponsorship <laughs> uh, relationships and all the kind of money stuff. And I was like, I was going to be a rebel, not the accountant or the money person. And then I realized that this is probably my destiny. So I moved to London and studied finance and and ended up working in the city doing investment banking, went on an entrepreneurial journey. From that, went into kind of venture capital, tech startups. I had a moment where I was realizing, like, what what am I doing? You know, I, I really don't like technology. I've always <laughs> been very technology averse. And here I'm running around trying to do tech startups. Why? What? And at the same time, I became a father and then... I had my first kind of plant medicine experience, which which really kind of opened opened things up for me, and really starting to go back to myself and 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 really understand like who am I and what makes me happy and what makes me feel good, and and that journey really led to. I remember it so well. I was sitting in in nature in forest in one of these one of these retreats, and and I grew up in Sweden. I was very close to nature my whole life, always been a lot in nature, but it was not just being back in nature, like, oh, I know this place, it's nice to be back. But it was like, wow, I never realized that nature is, you know, every plant, every bush, every tree is a living sentient being with who responds to each other, that communicates with each other, that are affected by energies and frequencies. and uh, realize that wow this this is first of all it's sentient and second of all we're part of this we're just like that bush and that plant and that tree and forest and everything we have comes from this natural world and we are not separate from it and this was like wow such a deep profound realization that if we want an abundant future this is what we need to be in service of if we're in service of nature we will receive everything we want and and more than we can ever dream of Christian, uh, I'm going to ask you the question I'm asking to um, all the guests here in uh, in Kaplankaya for the podcast. Mm -hmm. If something uh, easy or simple could be done and would make the world a better place, what would it be for you? One thing that I think is huge is composting. Like when you start composting, something happens, you know. And what, once you started, you can never go back. Once you have clean waste. And you realize like, wow, here, my organic waste goes here and the rest of the trash, it doesn't smell, doesn't stink. It's, you know, and then you put the organic waste into a compost and then you see it become soil. It's a, it's a huge, huge thing. And whether you kind of plug in, you know, in many cities now, they actually do have organic waste collection and put it on the compost. Or if you have a garden, you can put a few chickens. Chickens are so easy to manage you really don't need to work hard you just create a nice space for them and then and then you can just 
put your organic waste for the chickens and it's it's such a wonderful feeling and it takes a lot of pressure off on our uh, waste management systems and i think it's a great first step i think another one is just spend more time in nature just like really being in nature just smelling it put your hands in it you know oxytocin is the love hormone that Mm -hmm. drives childbirth that makes us feel happy that makes us feel loved and when we hug and when we kiss we we release oxytocin that's why we like pets because when we interact with the pets we release oxytocin when you remember that the plants and trees are sentient beings you know soil is full of life when you interact with that you release oxytocin with yourself so i really also just plant something or engage with nature as often as you can uh, this is also something that is very simple uh, but has a huge impact thank you so much <laughs> christian it was really amazing thank you thank you very much I hope you enjoyed this episode and Christian Joshnik's views on regenerative farming and his honest and lucid explanations about the challenges he faces. If you did, please leave us a good review and follow us on Instagram Harvest Series. All of our podcasts are also filmed, so you can visit youtube.com slash harvest series. Next episode will be with two eminent Tibetan Buddhist scholars, Bob Thurman and Thupten Jinpa. Jinpa met Bob when he was 12 years old and this will be the first time ever that they will do a podcast together. Don't miss the episode. Until next time, 